0: So it's such a treat to be up here as part of this wonderful season. This season of anticipation, this season of joy. This season that represents the fulfillment of so much that we, as members of this very special community, have longed for for so long. This season in which a new king who comes from unexpected, humble origins has been crowned and where the faith of the people has been renewed. This season, just the second season, of your Atlanta United, <laughs> woo! It's a little intimidating being up here at the front of the church, and so to, to, if you'll excuse me for a second, I'd like to put on something a little more liturgical to uh, put me at ease. Ah, that's that's better. Okay. It's also a privilege to be here to talk to you again about investing in the life and the work of this church. Those of you that have been here for a while know that this church was founded on four spiritual disciplines, four rhythms in mind. Those rhythms are scripture, or devotion to the teaching and study of the Bible, prayer, fellowship, both at the Lord's table, which we have chosen to practice every week uh, and also throughout our lives, and extravagant generosity, or what we sometimes call whole life stewardship giving with abundance of our time and our resources. Unlike so many other churches, I hope you'll agree with me that Kairos emphasizes each of these rhythms throughout the year. This is not a church where people keep exhorting you for money and then as soon as the pledge drive is complete, leave you alone until next year's drive. This is a church where we are encouraged and encourage one another to follow in the way of Jesus every day. It's a church that asks the key questions, that provides the necessary resources and opportunities, that supplies incredible leaders, mentors, and exemplars, and that even builds into its own budget, through a variety of means such as the equipping fund, this notion of stewardship and extravagant generosity. In addition to the four big rhythms of the church, which are kind of like the bass drum of our spiritual dance, there are also little subrhythms that add complexity to the beat. This, by the way, is where I was gonna do a little bit of human beatboxing to sort of illustrate the point, Uh, but I'm only allowed one gag per talk and the Atlanta United bit was kind of timely, so I had to go with that. Uh, But that is my pitch to get invited back to do this again next year. Uh, One of those sub-rhythms is the financial calendar. As most of you know, we're on a June 30th year end now, so December 31st is the midpoint of our budgeting year. It's also the point where, for reasons of taxes and tradition, people tend to do much of their charitable giving. So every year, this is a crucial time for our finances. And as in years past, we approached this point in the calendar in a bit of a fundraising deficit with the investments we've received so far being short of what we've budgeted. That's not to say that we're in any sort of a crisis. Like I said, this is one of the regular subrhythms that we encounter. Last December and again this past June, we were in similar positions. And each time you all responded abundantly and met the need. So I'm here simply to remind you that we're at that time once again and to encourage you to continue to live out your values, our collective values, by responding as you have before. I was listening to Terry Gross's Fresh Air on NPR the other day, and they were doing an interview with the former editor of The Guardian newspaper out of London, Alan Rusbridger. You probably know The Guardian. It's widely recognized as one of the most important and influential and respected newspapers in the world and they do a lot of really powerful investigative journalism. In spite of that, they, like pretty much every other form of print media uh, earlier in this decade, were in terrible financial shape. This was in spite of the fact that they had massive readership, particularly of their online content, which was free. So they began to explore other financial models. As part of that, they collected an enormous amount of input from their readers. They did surveys, they did focus groups, they invited people into their headquarters to talk. And one of the things they asked people was whether they'd be willing to switch to a model of paying for that online content so long as the content was restricted so that other people who weren't paying for it wouldn't be able to access it. What was so striking to me and to them was that their readers had the exact opposite idea. What The Guardian heard from people was that they were willing to pay for the content so it wouldn't be restricted, so that the work of The Guardian could be made available for all. That's how I think about what we're doing here. When the staff and the leadership team meet to discuss the budget, the number one thing we talk about is whether the budget is faithful, whether it's an expression of God's plan for us and whether it reflects our desire to encourage each other to follow the way of Jesus. I hope you look at that, at this church, and see the same things that the Guardian's readers saw. I hope you see that the work of this institution is so important, is so worthy, is so faithful, that you wanna support it and get it out there into the world. Just to prompt you a bit, I thought I'd mention a few of the things that your investment in the work of this church helped to make possible this past year. We've made our space available to Bethesda Church, the Tabula Raza School, Young Life, an addiction seminar, neighborhood meetings, the Made Known event, Cultivate, and an anxiety support group. We created a new family resources area available not only for Kairos families, but also for the Bethesda and Tabula Raza families. We made a major financial gift to Friends of Refugees to help them fund their capital campaign and transition to new ministry space. We renovated a classroom downstairs to better host our older elementary Sunday school class. This has been a true investment in the preteens in our community. Each Sunday morning, 10 to 20 preteens are discipled in that space, and having this bigger space has changed the experience for these kids and for their leaders. The space has also been used for Faith Steps events, leader gatherings, and other events. We've paid our childcare workers a faithful wage and offered them things like Christmas bonuses to show them, the people who care for our kids on Sunday morning, that we value and appreciate them. For us, this is not only an investment in our children, but an investment in the lives of these amazing women who are part of our community. We've helped pay for people's gas, car insurance, rent, therapy, medical bills, and we've loaned money for a down payment. We've been able to subsidize the expenses of first-timers who have gone on to Haiti on our mission trips. We continue to have incredible musicians and amazing music to lead us into worship. We funded Maria, Fire, or Maria Fire, Firevari and her ministry to women being rescued and restored from sex trafficking in Costa Rica, providing resources that will help her with the purchase of land to build a recovery center. We funded a request from Ann Ross Edwards to help train leaders for the Augustine Literacy Project she's bringing to Sandy Springs. This project provides critical educational services to lower-income families who have children with learning disabilities. We funded Cease Webster's request for the Community Assistance Center, and we have several people from our church now volunteering with the center in various ways. Finally, and this is by no means the last of the things you've helped support, it's just the last of my list of examples, we funded a request from Julia Carter to support the Atlanta Associates Program. This program provides summer fellowship opportunities for college-age students who want to grow in their faith and to connect their faith to their career opportunities post-college. As part of that, we also provided a fellowship work experience to one of those students, Taylor Penley, here in the church this past summer. I hope that gives you some sense of the ways in which Kairos uses our resources to connect our stories to God's bigger story. This budget isn't just an abstraction. It's not just numbers on a page. It's not just for accountants and finance wizards to pore over and fret about. It's actually a tool that helps us see that the Holy Spirit is moving everywhere in our world and that enables us to join in that work. One other event of the last week really resonated with me as I was thinking about this talk. I listened to a good bit of the coverage related to the passing of the elder George Bush. I'm actually old enough to have voted for him, believe that or not, Uh, and I remember his presidency well. If you listened to any of the coverage, you heard again and again what a good man, what a decent man he was. Uh, And I think that's all very true. What I had kind of forgotten about, though, and what this week reminded me of, was that one of his key campaign messages was that he wanted to help us become a kinder, gentler nation. When I heard those words again, I, I, I couldn't believe how out of date they sounded now in today's political climate. So much of our political dialogue centers on wars, toughness, aggression, protection from outside threats. It blew me away that there was a time in my lifetime when a politician could campaign on his desire to lead us to a more gentle posture. But while politics may have moved to a very aggressive place, that fundamental human desire for kindness and gentleness really hasn't changed. It's just being pursued in different ways. And that, I think, is where the work of Kairos comes in. If you go back over that list I just went through of all the things that you helped to support, the common denominator among all of our activities is that they are helping to bring about a kinder, gentler, more Christ-like world. Another one of the early founding documents of Kairos listed out the ways we'd know that we were being successful in our church ministry. I'm not going to list them all, but they include the following, which I thought were really relevant. That people will recognize God's fingerprints on their lives daily and on others around them. That people will be involved in diverse, creative, kingdom-focused witness in life, word, and deed. That people will be individually taking new steps of faith toward Jesus, and will collectively be a community of humility, hospitality, healing, creativity, and love. That our community will become financially independent and gloriously generous. And that Atlanta will be different because we are here. So, just as the Atlanta United has relieved 23 years of championship-free suffering in our city, so too may our extravagant generosity enable and equip Kairos to continue making Atlanta and our world a better, kinder, and gentler place. Thanks.
1: Invite the children to head downstairs to their class. And as they go, I was telling some people last night after Atlanta United uh, won, I was thinking about just throwing out my sermon and coming up here and just repeating over and over, victory, victory, just, oh, just until we can really feel it. I was uh, 13, the last time any sports team I ever rooted for won anything. This is a glorious day. We're we're in a series talking about um, uh, what about God is worth celebrating, and do I even need to go on? We have a championship in our city. Some of you are not Atlanta. You are not feeling this pain slash joy that uh, should be coming in. But don't worry, I didn't throw out my sermon. We're going to still give it, Uh, and the reason is is. We're looking at this Isaiah 9 passage, these um, four different characteristics of God. We looked at Wonderful Counselor last week, Mighty God this week, and then Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And and one of the reasons I want to continue to look at it is those four things, even as Isaiah uh, received them from the Lord, were not, uh, they weren't new phrases. They weren't new modifiers. Uh, In fact, uh, the Egyptian people used very similar words for Pharaoh. And, uh, and so one of the, uh, the hopes is not only is that we recognize what, um, what these modifiers mean for Jesus, but that we're, we remember that if, if we just assume that we know about God or we'll know what to celebrate about God, that's not a very good assumption. That in fact, if we don't see how Jesus is this way for us in our life, there's a good chance we will put these modifiers on something else. You know what I mean? So like, we might say, well, I think I know what a mighty God is, but hopefully I'll figure it out. What will probably happen is we will think that money is mighty or status is mighty or something else. And so as we continue to explore this, one of my great prayers is is that we might not only see how this is for Jesus, but how we can really celebrate it and put aside other places where we used to think it was true. So with that in mind, will you pray with me? Jesus, these are familiar phrases, familiar words, but we pray that they might become your words this morning, that we might see how you have embodied them, and you are with us as these qualities in this very moment so we might leave here changed and celebratory people. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So here's our passage for Advent. It's Isaiah. Uh, it's from Isaiah, what is it? 9 6. I almost said 6 9, and I was like, that cannot be right. This is what it says. This is the word of the Lord. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we picture a, a mighty God, too often I think we, we limit our understanding of, of what that really means. We, we, or at least I should say I, I assume when someone says we worship a mighty God, uh, it's about God's ability to come in and change things, to dominate or, or make some specific outcome a, a real reality in our life. I, I tend to think of it uh, as this, the way the world thinks of might, this, this great power. And no doubt God can be powerful in that way. But would you say that that's the kind of power we encounter when we think about Jesus being born in Bethlehem? Is that, is that the picture of might we have? Or to bring the question into the, into the context of our series, as we, as we think about why we celebrate Jesus... On his birthday, would we say that the reason is, is that it's, it's Jesus' take-charge, dominating way of being that we're just super pumped about on Christmas Day? That kind of power and might that we picture? I don't think so. I mean, shoot, put aside Jesus, do we celebrate that in anyone's life when we see it? We might want it, but do we celebrate it in other people? Like, uh, how many kids celebrate the fact that their parents have the power to make them eat vegetables? Are people like, man, you have a lot of might, and that is impressive, and I'm just ready to, to be excited that you have this presence in my life? Or, does anyone here rejoice in the ways that, that your boss is able to tell you what to do? Like, man, this is a good thing, and I'm excited. Can't wait to celebrate you, boss. Sure, some of those uses of power might be good. They might be needed. We might look back later and appreciate the the arm twisting that happened, but we are rarely amazed that a boss was willing to act like a boss. And it's the same with a mighty God at Christmas. The angels do not burst forth from the heavenly realm and sing glory to God in the highest because God has decided to dominate us only as God could. No, what, what is amazing about Christmas is our mighty God chooses to express power in a completely new way. God doesn't simply use his might to tell us what to do. The Lord comes as one of us. And in doing so, shows us what kind of power and meaning our lives can actually have. He doesn't just come and and say, do this, and I'm going to change this, and this is the way things are going to be, and you have no suggestions. He comes as one of us and actually invites us to be different. And that is a different type of might. It's still powerful, but it's the kind of power that we can actually receive as a gift. The incarnation takes God's might and offers it to us as empowered hope. This thing that we can engage in and see life in a new way because of. Tony Campola tells a wonderful story about Mother Teresa that I think really paints a picture of this kind of incarnational might. Many years ago, Mother Teresa, she was in the United States, she was visiting um, because there was this opening for the Sisters of the Charity program in Pennsylvania, and she had gone to to be a part of the ceremony, probably visit a couple other places, And while on her visit, uh, she heard about this local controversy that was happening in Pennsylvania. And it concerned a hospital which treated a large number of uh, patients who were struggling with mental illness. And the hospital wanted to open up some halfway houses in the neighborhood that surrounded uh, the hospital. Uh, to help these, trans- these, these people transition back into society, kind of a, a, a midway step. And not surprisingly, neighbors were, were not keen on having a bunch of quote-unquote crazies as they made clear in what they called them. Uh, they had no interest in those kind of people becoming their, their neighbors. And at the next city council meeting, uh, over 500 people 500 people at a little city council meeting showed up to voice their displeasure about this idea. Well, somehow, and I would love to know the story behind the somehow, uh, Mother Teresa heard about the meeting. And to the surprise of everyone, including all of her handlers and the people with her schedules and things like that, she told the people, she goes, I would like to attend this city council meeting. People are like, uh, no, that's a terrible idea. City council meetings are not where Mother Teresa goes. We'll take you to like, go see the president or whatever, but like, we're not going to take you to this little thing, and you don't really know the ins and outs, and there's this like, separation of church and state here. It's a little different. Uh, uh, people might not know. It's just going to be weird. We don't want this kind of image. And pe- They tried to dissuade her, but, but she's adamant. by the time she arrived, because this was not on the initial uh, travel schedule, uh, the 500 people, she was late, 500 people had already been so vocal and so resoundingly against the hospital idea, the City Council had just finished unanimously voting against the proposal. And then in walks Mother Teresa. Can you imagine? Meeting's pretty much over, she's winding down and she walks in. She she comes down the center aisle and I can only people must be like, what is going on? Like, is that that mother what what's happening? Why is she at our meeting? Our little local neighborhood agenda. She walks in and then she she kneels down before the city council in front of the five hundred people and then and she raises her arms and she says in the name of Jesus, make room for these children of God. When you reject them, you reject Jesus. When you embrace them, you embrace Jesus. Please, 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 in the name of God, make room for these people. Make room for them in your neighborhood. Not a lot of response then. There was this silence. Like, what do you do? What do you say? And finally, one of the councilmen did the only thing that probably you feel like you could do. Did the unheard of thing and said, the thing that we just voted on, um, I think we should re-vote. I think we should re-vote. And without a single word of opposition, From the 500 people who, moments before, were shouting this idea down, the Council voted again, and this time, voted to unanimously approve the proposal. Whole bunch of people with worldly power, the kind of power that we imagine so often with God, in that room and mother Teresa she's got none of it none of it what she had was the authority of incarnational love the power of of faith lived out she had the might of Jesus by her very life of faith Mother Teresa coming into that room and expressing that faith allowed people to see the world in a different way. And do you see how if we encountered that in our life, if that kind of presence came into our life and offered that to us, it would give us something to celebrate about. You know, those people, they came home and Mother Teresa never showed up. The spouse says, hey, how was the uh, meeting? He's like, great, we... we you know, we got the proposal rejected. That'd be the end of it. There'd be no cake. There'd be no like, whoa, that's awesome. Let's break out the champagne. But those people came home from their thing, and they say, how oh, the meeting go? It was incredible. Mother Teresa showed up and told us we were wrong, and it was the greatest meeting of my life. We can't wait to have these people in our neighborhood. It'd be a celebration. It would. I mean, think about it. Let me ask you these three questions. Do you ever find it hard to follow Jesus? I will answer that one. Yes. Do you ever find it hard to go against the crowd? Yes, I do. Do you ever find it hard to admit that you are wrong or change your mind? Yes. Amen to my mother. I mean, those are basically the three hardest things to do. But was it hard for those people at that city council meeting to change their mind? To follow Jesus? No. Someone shows up with incarnational might and all of a sudden doing the faithful thing becomes the easiest thing in the world. And the gift of Christmas is God has used his might not to force us to change, but to come into our life like Mother Teresa came into that meeting. To show us with nothing but his gospel lives life that our selfish, fearful, competitive mindset, that that is not the only choice. And that news feels like hope. Because the Lord announces it, not just with some decree, but with his very life that he's willing to live right alongside of us. And through the grace of Jesus' presence, when that happens, when we encounter that, the burden of faith, it feels light. As Eugene Peterson articulates so well, when Jesus acts, He brings something into the human situation that was not already there. The Lord uses his might not to manipulate, but to pour out, to provide breathing room for grace to abound. So it doesn't matter if you are the one who needs to be advocated for. Or you're the one who needs God's might to expand how you see your neighbor, your friend, your family. Or if you are the one who just needs to remember that in faith, your life can be endowed with kingdom authority. Whoever you are. With his very presence, Jesus is here with power to expand our understanding of ourselves and the world. In the authority of Jesus Christ incarnate, we see what is possible. What is possible with faith. We're invited to step into who we were created to be, and when we do, others feel invited to do the same. And when it happens, all we can say is thanks be to God for this good news. Let us go and celebrate. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are all-powerful. Your might has no boundary. You can do whatever you want. And so we pray that we might not limit ourselves to simply a worldly understanding of it. We might see the gift of you being born into our life is a might that is powerful because it's a gift. It's something that we can embrace. It's something that expands our understanding of who we are and who the world is gives us the chance to see through a lens of grace. And so we pray as we continue to wait for you to be born into our lives, we might explore where that kind of presence, authority, and might might interact with our lives. So we might see ourselves as you see us and rejoice and live with that authority and might alongside you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.